I, you know, was trained as a psychologist before I became a mother. And then when I became a mother, I started to notice this big problem that was out there that, you know, there's all this research on child development and parenting, but it doesn't seem to be reaching the parents who really need it. You're listening to the Mindful Parenting Podcast, episode number 425. Today, we're talking about the science of less stress parenting with Dr. Kara Goodwin. Welcome to the Mindful Parenting Podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Parenting, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you get calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 25 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids, and now raising good humans every day. 50 simple ways to press pause, stay present, and connect with your kids. Welcome back, dear listener. And hey, if you are new, a very, very special welcome to you. I'm so glad you are here. Listen, if you are not new and you've been around for a little while, make sure, or if you're new, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. Subscribe and you'll get all the valuable episodes every Tuesday in your podcast app. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Dr. Kara Goodwin, PhD, a licensed clinical psychologist best-selling children's book author and mother to three children who specializes in translating recent scientific research into information that is helpful, relevant, and accurate for parents and caregivers through her Instagram account, Parenting Translator. And we're going to talk about how there's really kind of a big lag time between the research on parenting and parents getting that research. So what does science tell us about parenting? We're going to talk about parental stress, perfectionism, and make sure you stay listening to how to handle lying in kids. We've got the research-proven answer for this one. It's totally a must-listen episode. Before we dive in, I want to share that every week I talk to members inside the Mindful Parenting membership, and we celebrate our wins. And I just want to share a couple wins that we've had inside the membership. D meditated every day this week. Go mama. S made it through module eight. And she said she hopes to do more win-win this weekend. The weekend is the best time to set the kids' intention for the week so they can have a plan. I feel more organized and sleep better knowing we're all on the same page. Yay. Another S celebrated the win of waking up early one morning and doing a workout that really felt good. And Jay is feeling a lot more confident and energetic this week because of getting an almost full night's sleep every night. Yay! So we celebrate all of these wins with our members, and we are in calls every week live with our members to celebrate their wins and tackle the challenges head on. We open up the membership twice a year, so if you are interested, make sure you get on the wait list at mindfulparentingcourse.com or mindfulmamamentor.com. Okay, let's dive in. Join me at the table as I talk to Dr. Kara Goodwin. (music) 
Are you struggling with kids fighting, yelling, and more despite listening to the podcast and reading all the books? Parenting can be so overwhelming and exhausting. You know, I see you and I have something that will help. Mindful Parenting SOS. I'm offering free live mindful parenting sessions starting Monday, May 6th. Basically, live mindful parenting lessons that you normally have to pay for. So if you struggle with getting your kids to listen, tantrums, misbehavior, and feeling the guilt of yelling at your kid, then you should definitely get your spot in Mindful Parenting SOS. I'll be there to answer your questions in person, and if you can't make it, we will have replays available. Don't wait to get your spot now. It's free. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS to register. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS. I can't wait to see you there. Kara, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. So you are, you know, you're a licensed clinical psychologist. You have three kids, number four, on the way as we record this. So I'm curious, like, about, you know, how you were raised and and was it some, was, you know, is your interest in all this something that you were kind of like, reacting against or you're like carrying on good works or maybe a mix of both? Tell me about that. Yes, I would say, you know, like most parents, probably a mix of both. Um, I um, was raised in the 1980s, so um, pretty typical 80s family. Um, I was the middle of three kids. We were all super close in age. My parents both worked full time um, and had very demanding careers. So it was a very chaotic um, household, I would say. There was a, always a lot going on. And um, I loved being the middle of three kids. I th- I was very close to my brother and sister, um, but we also fought a lot. Um, I would say maybe even constantly fighting. <laughs> um, and, you know, my parents, there was a lot of love in our house. There was a lot of empathy, but it was the typical 1980s household in the sense that, you know, you do what you're told. And, you know, there is there was a little talk about emotions, but not a lot, not as much mm-hmm. as, um, you know, a lot of us parents do now. And there was a lot of, um, you know, suck it up and keep going and you're fine. And, you know, this go to your uh, room. Under- Stop. Yeah. Yeah. Go to your room and get over it. Um, yeah. So um, I would say pretty typical in that sense. Um, but there was a lot of love in my parents. um were very nurturing and warm. So I was fortunate to have that. Um, having my own children has been um, like for so many of us a real eye-opening experience because it brings back a lot of your issues that maybe you didn't even realize were issues um, from your childhood that, um, you know, brings up a lot of these feelings that you had as a child. And you know, I know for me as a parent, my triggers, what tends to really stress me out is sibling fighting. Um, and I think because I experienced a lot of that myself and in particular when an older child is being mean to a younger child, I think that tends to make me very angry. Um, something else that's a trigger for me is when my children don't listen to me. Um, you know, when I was growing up, that wasn't, that wasn't tolerated. Um, and I think part of it too is as a middle child, I often felt like my voice wasn't heard. So when Even my children, and you know, rationally, I know they're children. They're not developmentally capable of listening to everything I ask. But emotionally, I have a reaction of 
they're not respecting me. They're not paying attention to me. And, you know, there's the rational thought of, I know that developmentally this is normal, is hard to balance with the emotional reaction. Um, So I think it's, it's been really interesting having my own kids and like these stressors that come up from my own childhood. Yeah, yeah, I can I can relate to that. And the idea of like our thoughts are like, you know, it's like the rider on the elephant, you know, our conscious brain. I love that metaphor, right? And like the elephant, you know, the emotions of like, they're not listening to me. I'm not feeling respected. Like that's, it's going its own way. And like in many ways, like the rider really has not, has not so much influence on how, yeah. the where the elephant is going. Like if you're riding an elephant, it's not like you're riding a horse like if you're if the elephant decides it's going somewhere you there's not a lot you can do to stop it sometimes right and I, I I think that for sometimes you know that metaphor really really resonates with me probably the listeners probably heard me say this before but I think it's so funny like where I grew up in the 80s too and I would wonder like you were a middle child did you have the book the one in the middle is the green kangaroo did you have that no, but it sounds no. like I needed that book. <laughs> I don't know why we had it. Like, I only had one older brother. It was just two of us, but we loved that book. It's so funny. It's a great book. Yeah, yeah. You might want to have it with your your uh, your four uh, kids. It was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a good one. I'm so... I'll look that up. <laughs> so what got you interested then in working with child development in, in psychology? Um, so I have always loved little children, which is why I'm having four of my own. So I always knew I wanted to work with kids. And I was fascinated by how the brain works. So I was really interested in this, um, you know, psychology because it kind of meshed, you know, working with children, interacting with children, but also thinking about these broader concepts of brain development. Um, And I, um, you know, was trained as a psychologist before I became a mother And then when I became a mother, I started to notice um, this big problem that was out there that, you know, there's all this research on child development and parenting, but it doesn't seem to be reaching the parents who really need it. Um, So I would be, you know, when I became a mother, I would be talking to my parent friends and I would, we'd talk about a problem and we'd say, oh, well, I'd say, you know, you know about this research study and they would have no idea what I was talking about. So I realized, you know, A lot of the research that I was doing as a researcher and that I was talking about with my patients as a psychologist was really not getting out there to a lot of parents. So um, my goal, I have started a nonprofit called Parenting Translator, and the goal is really to get all the research that's out there on parenting and child development and get it into the hands of parents to make their everyday lives a little bit easier um, because I think we all need as much information as we can to to guide this very difficult um, process that we're engaged in every single day. I couldn't agree with you more. And so, and and I think this is true. Like we, as parents, we tend to be repeating the patterns of generations. Like we tend to repeat like kind of how our parents did it. Not many of us are taking a class per se. Not many of us are diving into research. Not many of us are trying to you know, necessarily like studying child development and all of those things. What are some of the places where you saw that parents' general knowledge and what the research was saying, you know, where they got into trouble with each other, where where parents weren't, what are some of the places where parents weren't understanding things that, that research was now very clear about? Um, you know, there are so many examples. Like there are simple examples like 
Um, you know, there's a lot of research now showing that pacifiers don't interfere with breastfeeding. And yet almost every parent is told, you know, don't start pacifiers until breastfeeding is well established. And there's also just a lot of misconceptions out there. Um, one that will a study that we'll probably get to later is um, there's a really interesting study looking at whether or not you should hide stress from your children. So they found that the parents who were hiding stress around their children, it actually really interrupted the parent-child reaction and the child was more stressed as a result. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's this idea that we should, sh- you know, shield our children in every way from our stress. But, you know, this study suggests that actually we should tell our children when we are stressed and let them know. So there's a lot of research studies like that that are just examples of um, the fact that like some of the mis- some of the ideas that we have about parenting, you know, generally in our culture are actually not backed by research and research kind of gives us other strategies that might be more effective. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcast right after this break. Parenting can be loud, stressful, and rough some days. And we want to be able to go to bed and take care of ourselves in a really beautiful way. And that's why I love that Cozy Earth is a sponsor of the podcast. Cozy Earth offers bedding products that will transform your sleep. The bedding is temperature regulating, which is like a huge sleep benefit, has superior softness, incredible fabric, and incredibly high quality. All the products come with a 10-year warranty. Truly, incorporating Cozy Earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and your overall wellness. You deserve to treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence after all the day's craziness of parenting with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear. And it's a way to prioritize your self-care and sleep health. You deserve it. And here's an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for our listeners. Use the code MINDFUL35 for 35% off. That's awesome. At CozyEarth.com. That's coupon code MINDFUL35 for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. 
feel like you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Yeah, that's fascinating because that's something I talk about a lot is like, it's okay for you to have your feelings about your kids, you know, and we'll talk more about that. But I mean, that's so, so interesting to hear that the recent that there is research about hiding stress. Oh my gosh, you're, you're making my day. And it's, but it's interesting. It's like, why, why is that? Is it like, cause we have this idea of like the role of parent or the role of mom and we still get these ideas of like Donna Reed or or like whatever in our head that that we think of this we kind of want to mold ourselves to fit this role which is always perfect always knowing the right thing to say all that stuff so then we want to not be so then it ends up so we're not real we're not authentic around our kids yes i definitely think it's this idea of perfectionism and also um this idea that we want to give our children like this perfect life that's completely stress-free. But what the research really tells us is that it's not ideal for children, even if we create an environment, which is impossible, that had absolutely zero stressors in it. That's actually not ideal for children. So if we want to raise resilient children, we need to let them be exposed to minor stressors. You know, you don't want to expose your child to, you know, throw them in the pool and say, good luck. Um, but, you know, you don't want to expose them to a major stressor without coping strategies. But yeah, we don't have to manufacture to, stuff for them to yes. like have to get over. Right. Yes. Yes. You don't want to, you know, leave your baby for three months and and hope that help t- makes them more resilient. You know, it's more just you want to ha- allow minor stressors to occur. Um, you know, and a common example is, you know, your child is just stressed because you're leaving for an hour, you know. That stress, although it's very painful for all of us to see our children upset, that stress is good for them. You know, if if you know they're in a situation, you've talked through the coping strategies they can use, you know they're safe, you know they're with somebody who, you know, is a good care provider and you leave them in a, for an hour and you, you this is a minor stressor for them. It's not going to feel good for either of you. But having these minor stressors in their lives and learning how to cope with them um, is what helps create more children, more resilient children. So we don't, you know, I think a lot of us are like, I don't want my kids to ever experience anything hard. And that's a very wonderful intention, but it, it's not going to prepare them for the real world where there are a lot of stressors, unfortunately. Yeah. And let's talk about that. Like what would happen, right? If we are, our kids are super protected. I mean, I guess um, Julie Lithcott Haynes talked about this on the podcast a long time ago, the idea that in college, you know, admissions they call, they're calling the kids like teacup kids because they're yeah. like fragile little teacups that are just going to break at any like difficulty. 
And that's what can happen if we're like protecting our kids too much from like the normal stressors of life. Yes, exactly. So, you know, you you have to really know your child and kind of know what they're ready for. Um, you know, you don't want to put them in a situation that where they can't handle it, but you know, you want to gradually and um, you know, research also shows this is an important treatment for anxiety. If you have a more anxious child, you want to make sure rather than protecting them and making sure they never experience whatever it is that makes them anxious, you want to gradually and gently expose them to the thing that makes them anxious while coaching them on coping skills and being aware of where your child is, like what are they ready for? So so just thinking about, you know, where is my child and how can I support them in challenging them in their anxiety, in their stress um, to, to become more resilient? And to me, that really speaks of the middle path of being conscious, being aware, being curious, right? Like all of those things, you know, that like that we teach in mindful parenting, right? That we need, that parents need to be able to navigate. These are nuances, right? Like we're not saying it's either one thing or the other. It's like you have to walk this messy middle and and that really requires us to kind of be awake and alert to your own needs and your kids' needs. Um, yeah, I, I love this. This is so validating to talk to you, Kara. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's talk about parenting stress. And why do you think that parenting has become so stressful? It really has become so stressful. And I think it's easy for, you know, older generations to tell our generation of parents, like, you know, your helicopter parents are too stressed out. But there are just there's a lot of pressure on us. You know, we have higher expectations than previous generations of parents have had. In some ways, that's good. In some ways, it's bad. Um the, the social media world out there creates this highlight reel where we only see um, other parents' successes and we don't see other parents' challenges. So I think a lot of us, you know, who, you know, as we become are more on the internet and unfortunately more socially isolated, we think that other parents are, you know, succeeding in everything and they're kind of skating along and it's easy and I think it's very important for parents to feel stressed and feel like I'm failing because this isn't easy for me. Also, you know, the obvious, the COVID pandemic created a lot of increased stress for parents. Um, the pandemic in itself and the, the stress and the social isolation, um, but also all of the events that kind of were, it came as a result of the pandemic. So it's really increased um, stress in parents and it's made a lot of us feel um, very uncertain about the future and kind of what, you know, what we can expect. Um, so I think parents are more stressed than ever, and we have valid reasons to be more stressed. Okay, so we're more stressed than ever. This is making me understand, like, when I started to talk about when my kids were young, how I was yelling at my kids and how shamed I felt about that and how frustrating and hard that was to people responded to that to me in a big way. It was like, oh, it's not the high highlight reel. It's like uh, someone's actually being real about yeah. this is incredibly frustrating. And, also, you know, sometimes I don't like my kids and that's normal, right? Like, and how how we can even imagine that, right? Um, but the stress that we're all experiencing, like of the pressure, the high expectations, all this stuff, how is our stress affecting our kids? Um, so our stress has been, so there's a lot of research showing that parents' um, well-being and stress is maybe the most important factor in their child's mental health. 
So I think that's so important for parents to keep in mind that your well-being is so important for your child's mental health. And because of that, you know, we should be looking out for our own mental health and well-being just for in its own case. But also it's important to remember if you don't have the motivation to take care of yourself for yourself, that it's also having a huge impact on your child. So it's okay to make decisions if they are decisions that improve your mental health and your well-being. So making decisions such as, you know, taking breaks from your from your children, um, choosing to be a working parent because that's better for your mental health. So making sure, you know, I think it's very important for parents to make sure that they consider their own mental health and their own well-being when they are um, coming up with decisions for their family. That is so, so validating. And I've, and I've heard this and I've talked to, you know, Dr. Dan Siegel a couple times about it. He talks about parental presence being so important in our, our mental health. I'm reading, you know, Gabor Monte's book about, um, you know, the myth of normal right now. And that's talking about this. And I think, though, that this is, you're right, like this is taking a long time to filter into most people that our mental health and our sense of well-being is perhaps the number one factor in children's mental health. Um, I have a couple questions about this. Like, so first, like, I mean, maybe it, this is not in the research, but I'm just wondering, like, what is the mechanism that you see in this? Like, how is our own well-being and our own mental health translating into our kids' mental health? So there is a little bit of research on this, and stress tends to make parents, um, and some of us have experienced this in our own lives at times when we are really stressed, um, it tends to make us less responsive um, and less present with our children. So we're more distracted. We um, are less likely to um, respond to our children's needs um, in the way that they need. Um, so stress tends to have this negative impact on parent-child interactions. And because of this negative impact, children are more likely to develop their own mental health struggles, whether it's depression or anxiety um, and of course, there can be a genetic component of this as well. So parents with um, mental health struggles are more likely to have children with mental health struggles themselves. But there is something that we can do in the moment as parents, which is um, to work on our own stress. So that way we are at least not impacting, you know, the interactions that we have with our child in a negative way. Yeah. I mean, the way when I think about that, like if I'm if I'm stressed, it takes a lot less, you know, I'm, I'm stressed. I'm partially in fight, flight, or freeze, right? To some degree or another, my body, my nervous system is in a state of fight, flight, or freeze. And so then any kind of stress of parenting, a child not doing what we want them to do, a child, you know, being upset about the shoes they're going to wear, not wanting to go to school, all of those things, it just takes a little bit more than to push us into a fully reactive state, right? Where we're we're yelling, we're we're literally kind of in that place of fighting, right? <laughs> yes. and, and we can we can be, you know, it, it can turn on that like all very normal, very natural human aggressiveness, right? That we don't have to like shame ourselves for. This is just how we're wired, but it can be very normal and natural, right? But if we are taking like we have the, you know, the the support around us and all the things we need around us to be able to take plenty of breaks. We don't feel guilty about taking plenty of breaks. We uh, can do those things. Then if we can be at ease, you know, it's like we just for seem to forget that our emotions are contagious, right? Like 
you know, if you're feeling really stressed, I'm feeling that. My husband recently in the last year or two went through a bunch of panic attacks. And I know, I know in my heart, like, I know the best thing for that is for me to be as calm and relaxed as I possibly can. But it is dang hard. Yeah, somebody is having a panic attack, you know what I mean? Because we just feel each other's emotions. We inter are as human beings and we, you know, we are like a, the, the most social species of, you know, of mammal on earth, right? So like, yes. so I can kind of see how that that can really happen. And I, and I imagine one of the things that, you know, and I know one of the things that is causing a lot of this stress is our struggle for perfectionism, right? Like that idea that we have to be a certain way. We have to like fit this role and I should be calm all the time or I should be this or I should be that. Like that's adding to our stress too. Yes, definitely. So research definitely finds that perfectionism causes um, parents increased anxiety and stress, which then causes increased anxiety and stress in their children and also makes them more likely to um, have these perfectionist tendencies themselves, which any one of us who have struggled with perfectionism, and I'm one of those people, um, the let you know the last thing you want to do is give that to your child. So it's very important to remember that um, these this idea that we have of being the perfect parent and wanting and striving to be the perfect parent um, may have a negative impact not just on our mental health but also our children's mental health. Um, and I I understand how hard this is. You know, we all love our children so much, and and wanting to be a perfect parent comes from such a good place that like we just want to do the best for our children. Um, but it's so important to remember that um, that being the perfect parent um, shouldn't even be the goal for us because even if we were capable of that, which we are not, no human being is, it would not be a good model for our ch- children because they can't be perfect because they're also human beings and they need to see us mess up. They need to see us make mistakes and know that it's okay and to see how we repair and how we cope with those mistakes, because that's how they will learn how to repair and cope with their own mistakes. This is so important. I feel like, dear listener, you know, we need to just underscore these things. Your well-being it could be might be the number one factor in your child's mental health and your taking care of your stress. So this really speaks to taking care of our needs as a, the number one priority. So then we can be responsive to our kids so that we can use our whole brain so that we can see clearly and 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 our kids can borrow our calm if they need to right yes exactly and you know research finds some really um you know relatively easy ways of taking care of ourselves and reducing stress um i love that your book goes into mindfulness because uh, there's so much research on mindfulness um, you know, it could help parents to accept negative life events. It could help them to understand the emotions of themselves and others. It could help them to control their own emotions, um, to have more compassion for their children and themselves. So research finds like there's just so much consistent research showing like all of these benefits of mindfulness. Um, and I know that can it can be kind of an annoying suggestion for some busy parents, but it doesn't have to take a lot of time. Um, and I think you give some good suggestions in your book of like, you know, not, you don't have to do this for hours a day, you know, just have it be a part of your day. Um, And of course, you know, seeking out social connection is a huge one. Um, I think a lot of us kind of um, lost our village during the pandemic. And so trying to find that village of support is, is very important. 
Um, and of course, you know, prioritizing your own sleep is is very important, which I I can totally get how hard that is as a parent, but recognizing that, um, you know, little things like making sure you also, you know, all a lot of us are really good at making sure our kids follow a bedtime routine and get to bed at the same time, but not so good with ourselves. So, you know, just making sure that you use you know, some of the strategies that we know work with kids, like the bedtime routine and not using devices and and try to use some of that with ourselves to make sure we're getting the sleep we need to. Okay, Kara. So you have currently a two and a half year old, a five year old and a seven year old and one on the way. Yeah. So how are you how are you able to implement all of this knowledge you know about parental stress? And what are you doing in your own life to to reduce your stress? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a really it's a daily challenge, of course. Um, and I, you know, before I became a parent, I I fell prey to a lot of these perfectionist thoughts. So I, you know, I thought I have a PhD in child psychology. Like, of course, I'll be the perfect parent. I know everything, and I very quickly learned that it didn't matter how many books I had read, how much training I had. Um, it this is extremely challenging, and. You know, like we were talking about earlier, like what you know rationally is very different than how you operate emotionally. So I think a big thing for me has been accepting that I can't be a perfect parent and that's Mm. actually better for myself and my children. Mm. Um, I also really strongly believe in mindfulness and that's something I try to practice. Um, I try to to do things. um, I've gotten better with this with more as I've had more children and let go some of the mom guilt, but try to do things that are good for me and my own mental health, even if it means, you know, leaving my children more often or, um, you know, doing, for example, if I've reached the end of the day, I used to be um, very, very strict about screen time. Um, But, you know, if I've reached the end of the day and I realize like I need a moment to like, I just, I'm at a point where I feel like I'm close to losing my cool. It's okay to put on a show. You know, that might be the better choice in that moment if if I don't use screen time at this moment. I I'm at risk of losing my cool. I'm at risk yeah. of um, you know, doing something that is not the kind of parent I want to be. So, just be aware of and recognizing my own um status and taking care of myself when needed has been really helpful. I love that. I'm I'm so glad. And you you talked about we talked. You mentioned earlier, should we hide our stress from children? You said the research says we should not hide stress from children. And like I said, this is something, you know, so in mindful parenting, I teach things like I messages, right, where I say, I'm, you know, when you leave your, you know, cooking mess all over the counter, because my daughter is 13 now, when you leave the cooking mess all over the counter, I feel really frustrated and I'm not able to use the kitchen. And a lot of people have trouble with this. They have trouble with the idea of letting their kids know that they're feeling irritated, they're feeling frustrated, they might even feel like they're about to lose it, right? But what I've said to parents is that your kids can see it, right? Like back to feelings are contagious. Like your kids can see it. They know anyway something is up. And if you try to stuff it down, then then your kid learns not to trust you, right? Like that's like a, it's like a, it's incongruent. Like it's not, you're not really being honest in that moment. So talk to me a little bit more about what those research says about us. Yeah. So research finds that when parents try to suppress their stress and 
And we've all done this occasionally, you know, just acted like everything's fine in front of our kids. It actually hurts the quality of the interaction between parent and child, like we talked about earlier, um, when you're stressed, you're distracted um, by your stress. So it's going to negatively impact the interaction you have with your child. And it also even increases the stress in your child because like we've talked about, it's contagious. It doesn't matter if you're verbalizing it or not. They sense your stress and it's harder for them because they don't know why. You know, a Mm -hmm. lot of times it has nothing to do with them. You know, Mm -hmm. we're worried about some work deadline and we're snapping at them and they think, you know, there's something I did wrong. And it's important to clarify, you know, I, um, unfortunately, when I'm pregnant, tend to be more irritable. And with my fourth pregnancy, I've accepted that, um, you know, and it just, it is what it is. It's hormonal. I can try to take care of myself, but it just is what it is. Um, And I think it's important for me to explain to my kids, especially if I, you know, especially in the first trimester when I was having very nauseous days, I could tell my kids that mommy's tummy is really hurting today. So if I seem a little grumpy, like that's what's going on with me. I really wish I wasn't grumpy, but it's hard when my tummy hurts like this. Um, And, you know, just verbalizing that and also um, verbalizing the coping strategies that you are using Mm -hmm. as a parent. So, you know, my tummy is hurting. So I think like this afternoon, like we're just probably going to lay low and relax and maybe watch a movie because I need to make sure I rest so that I feel better and and can be um, a more fun mommy at bedtime. Um, so just kind of verbalizing what you are going to use to cope and and verbalize, you know, verbalizing what's going on with you so that um, you're giving children the language to express that themselves and to learn how to cope with it. So you're giving your children all these skills that you wouldn't give if you were just pretending like everything's fine. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcast right after this break. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky 
wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. What does the research say about making amends and, and apologizing to our kids? This is something about parenting that I think has changed um, mm-hmm. since we were being raised. And um, there is a lot of research now showing that apologizing to our children is really important. So apologizing to your children is associated with um, improved attachment security, suggesting that it improves the parent-child bond. Um, so apologizing is very important because it um, not only helps repair the relationship, but also models for your children how to apologize. Um, and it's very important that, um, you know, I think a lot of parents know now that apologizing is important, but not necessarily how to do it. So um, there's even research on how to apologize most effectively. So that there's five parts to it. So you want to make sure you acknowledge your wrongdoing. So acknowledge your part. Um, so this makes sure you don't say something like, I'm sorry that you feel that way, which usually just makes people feel worse. Um, so acknowledging what you did wrong expressing remorse or regret, you know, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, acknowledging how it impacted the other person, um, and a promise to do better in the future, and a way to make up for the wrongdoing in some way, which, um, you know, can be called making amends. So, you know, showing your child a way that you can make amends for something you did. And I think that um, that idea of making amends or repairing the relationship is really important for children to learn. You know, research shows that when children make amends um, after they've had a conflict with another child, it is it makes more progress towards repairing the relationship than just giving an apology. Um, so making sure um, that as a parent, you're teaching your child to even take that next step. Mm-hmm. I love that. So do you have any examples of uh, how you've apologized to your kids and what amends you might have offered? Yeah. So, um, you know, a common apology is, I'm sorry that I yelled. I'm sorry I lost my cool. And um, and amends, it really depends on the child and the situation of what works best. You know, it could be as simple as, do you want a hug? Do you want to um, play your, you know, whatever their favorite activity is at the time? Um, you could even ask them, you know, what would make you feel better right now? Mm-hmm. Um, so any of those strategies can help towards making amends and can teach your child how to do that, use that same strategy in their own relationships. All right. This is amazing. I love this. What does this research say about how to handle lying in kids? Yeah. So lying is so tricky because I think as adults, we see it as like this moral um, issue of like, how could I have raised a liar? But it's so important to remember first and foremost that lying is completely developmentally normal and that, you know, often it is just kind of testing the bounds of kind mm-hmm. of what they can get away with. Um, and to know that, so, you know, first remembering to stay calm that lying is not a sign that your child, you know, 
is morally off track or, you know, they okay. are a liar. So just knowing that this is developmentally normal, this is something that children do. Um, and to um, try to understand like why they are alive and get to the the root cause of it and help to address that and talk to that about with your child. Um, you also want to discuss at the same time the importance of being honest um, and praise them for being honest, especially when it was difficult to be honest. So for example, um, did you eat those cookies? And they say yes, knowing that you might be mad. Um, making sure instead of, you know, you instantly jump to, you know, letting them know how wrong it was to eat the cookies just first, you know, taking a deep breath, acknowledging that they were honest um, when it was hard. Mm. Um, because mm-hmm. if you jump right to getting mad about it and you know you know you can't eat cookies before dinner, blah, 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 they're going to think, oh, next time I'm definitely not going to tell the truth because I got in so much trouble. Um, so, so looking at the root cause and, and helping children to understand, you know, the importance of being honest, you know, just talking about it and, and why honesty matters for our relationships. Okay. Awesome. So it's normal, stay calm, you know, try to understand why they're lying and then the importance of being honest. And I'm not hearing you say anywhere in here, like, Set, ground your child or send them to their, you know, send them, take away their screen time. Like the idea is like we are teaching our children, right? We're coaching them and teaching them. This is, yes. um, and so that they can learn better for the future. We don't have to make them feel bad to have them do better. Yes, exactly. I love this. Um, and then real quick, because we've just been talking about this in a couple other episodes, but what does the research say about whether we should choose a play-based or more academic preschool or kindergarten? So there's a lot of research that's come out about this recently, and I think that it's a common misconception. So research is really supporting the more play-based um, preschools because um, play-based preschools really help children to learn these more abstract concepts such as creativity, problem-solving, um, and these skills. So these more abstract skills are actually more associated with later success than these more academic skills. So, um, you know, knowing different letters and the letter sounds and knowing math concepts. So these more abstract, you know, creativity, problem solving, um, social emotional learning, these are associated with later success. Um, And we also know that young children tend to learn best through play and interaction with others. So it's more important for your child, you know, they're going to be, even though it doesn't feel that way to us as parents, they're going to be learning more when they're playing in the mud with another child than when they're sitting at their desk doing a worksheet. So play-based preschools are really what is is more supported by the research. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Kara. This is so beautiful. Kara also has, she has some many more resources on the, her website. She talks about hitting and has a great children's book, What to Do When You Feel Like Hitting. This has been so valuable. This has been so validating for me today and, and exciting. Where can people find out more about what you're doing and, and continue the conversation? Yes. So my website is parentingtranslator.org and I have a lot of free resources for parents um, on all sorts of different topics related to the research on parenting. Um, I'm on Instagram at Parenting Translator, and I put out um, translations of research 
um, several times a week on Instagram. Um, I'm also on TikTok and I have a Substack newsletter um, for people who want more information on the research, which is um, Parenting Translator on Substack as well. And I um, have a new podcast too, which is um, audio versions of my newsletter for people who prefer the audio format. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. I know you might be feeling grumpy, but you weren't <laughs> grumpy with me, which I appreciate. And, um, and now I really, really appreciate what you're doing. And I think it's so, so valuable. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, this was a very helpful episode, wasn't it? I think so. You know, we need to have that research to show, help us know what's going on because we've had a lot of bad habits in the past and we're making new changes, yet the path isn't totally fully paved for us, right? Like in some ways, you may have older family members who are worried that you're messing up your kids by talking about their emotions rather than, you know, putting them in timeout or spanking them or something, right? Like that definitely happens. So it's really helpful to know that mindful parenting processes are totally research-backed. And, you know, I can say that now as my daughters are 13 and 16, the work I did when my daughters were little that I put in, I worked so hard to change my habits, my reactivity, and my language through all the stuff I share in mindful parenting. It really, really helped, really, really worked. Our relationship is so close now. They don't hate me as teenagers. We're not getting like the big teen rebellion. Yeah, they've got teen moments and there are different, definitely challenges, but it's not in our relationship and not necessarily in the parenting part. So anyway, I hope this episode was really helpful for you. If it was, I would be ever, ever so grateful for, to you if you could leave an Apple podcast review. It's super easy to do. You just open up where you're listening to the podcast on the purple app. Go to the Mindful Parenting Podcast and scroll down and you'll see a purple link that says write a review. And it just really does take 30 seconds. I'm going to give a shout out here to a five-star review from She Who Rides Far. They wrote, simply amazing. Hunter gets it in me. She covers so many great topics to keep it fresh and digs into the modern questions I can't quite get guidance on from previous the previous generations. Thank you so much for that review. All right, that's what I got for you today. I would love to see your feedback. I'm on Instagram at Mindful Mama Mentor. And I hope you have a great week, my friend. I hope that you have all the hugs you need. If you're having a hard time, I hope you get to see some of the light and the joy. I hope this has watered those seeds of ease, of peace, of enoughness in you, because you are enough, exactly as you are. You don't have to be perfect. You, It's okay for you to make mistakes. I make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. It's okay. And all we can do is we begin anew again and again. And so that's why we do this podcast. And I hope it does it. Helps you. Helps you begin anew. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, my friend. Namaste. I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. 
and just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I had this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.